Before we get started on the show today, if you haven't already listened to episode four of Minimum Chips, we were talking about modern monetary theory and money printing and where the government's getting all its money from. Episode five is we're going to talk about quantitative easing and share prices. It's kind of a natural flow on from episode four. So if you haven't listened to that yet, highly recommend you go and check that one out. Uh, Otherwise, enjoy the show. Uh, can I just get a Minimum Chips, please? Hello and welcome to Minimum Chips, a podcast putting the nom 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 back in economics. It's the world of money as seen through the eyes of a comedian and a real-life economist. Oh, did I mention we're brothers too? So there'll be fights. Welcome to episode five of the Minimum Chips podcast. My name is Adam Kiley and joining me as always is my brother, Thomas Kiley, Chief Economist at Integrity Economics. Hello, Thomas. How are you? G'day, Adam. How are you going? Very good, thank you. Avoiding the question as usual, Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just not the right way to think about it, the way you're asking that question. Today, uh, today I want to talk about the share prices. I don't understand what is holding up the share market at the moment. So we have seemingly bounced back from COVID. We have some of the best share prices uh, we've ever seen. And things look like they're just going to keep going up. But I'm no economist, but I understand that we have some of the worst numbers, <laughs> if you like, uh, that we've also ever seen. So how on earth is the share market doing so well while the whole economy sucks? Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. Yeah, th- things are batshit crazy right now. Like nothing makes sense in the share market. Good. It seems to be that it's really driven by... Uh, money printing that we have we talked about that last episode if you haven't heard it go and check it out Um, but essentially my understanding is the government's just printing tons of money and Mm. no one seems too concerned yeah it's it's driving share prices we've got we've got the the worst economic data we've ever seen we're only like barely a month barely two months into what people think is going to be you know potentially the worst recession depression in you know generations yeah and yet we've got share prices marching to all-time highs. And so it just seems to be this fundamental disconnect. And so that, that march of share prices that we've seen over the past couple of months obviously has nothing to do with economic data, obviously has nothing to do with the outlook for the economy. Unemployment's still rising. The, work, the whole world's effectively still shut down. There's nothing in the economic data with, that we're seeing that suggests that companies are going to be posting bumper profits. Yeah, the the US is literally on fire. Mm. Australia was on fire and then it's come out of the fire and had to battle with COVID. And so mm. everything just says everything's bad and yet the share market, tickety-boo over here, we're, we're, <laughs> we're buying up. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't make sense unless you understand, unless you look at what's happening with money printing. What's happening with money printing? Lots of it, lots <laughs> Okay. And we remember we're talking about this last week. So we're money printing like we did following the GFC. So that our response to try and get the economy back on track after the GFC was to print lots of money. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the US and Europe here in particular. I'm not talking about Australia. Australia didn't get into money printing during the GFC or after the GFC. But we are now. And because the whole world, as the crisis came back around, everyone's gone, well, that worked out pretty well last time. 
let's just run that playbook again. Let's just print a crap ton of money and pump it into the financial sector and see what happens. And so that's that's what we're seeing happen. And what happened last time as a result of that money printing is like in the US, the, the share market tripled over the 10 years that followed the GFC. Um, and there's a huge boom in asset prices. And that seemed to come directly out of money printing. Are you saying that there's going to be another boom over the next 10 years? Should I jump in now? I wouldn't say that I'm predicting that. Right. But that seems to be the general view in the market right now. Right. Because no one's, no, one's buying, no one's bidding stocks up on the basis of the economic data. No one's bidding stocks up on the outlook for profits. They're bidding stocks up on the fact that governments are printing crap tons of money and throwing it into financial markets. Because they do say, I did read something today that said markets are forward-looking. Mm. Seems like they're very much looking forward to <laughs> better <laughs> all days. This free ahead. money, all this free money that the government's printing. <laughs> so that, that's kind of it. Everyone's like in the, the share market's kind of going. The government's printing all this money. We are going to get a lot of it. So as long as they keep printing money, then happy days. Yeah, Effect, effectively that's it. It's it's not really any more complex than that. Analysts are saying it, it's detached from fundamentals. It's detached from detached from reality. It's not connected to the economic data. It's it's all about the government's willingness to throw money into the financial market. Let me ask you this, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? I think the potential is that you destroy the engine of capitalism. <laughs> that that would be <laughs> probably the worst case scenario. That sounds bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, what's happening is that, so the US Fed... It's a central bank. So the US Fed, when I say that, you can think about, you know, the Australia's got Reserve Bank of Australia. The US has the Fed. It's a central bank. Every country has a central bank. So the US Fed is expanding its balance sheet. So what it's doing is it's printing money with a click of a button, just adding zeros to its bank balance, using that money to then go and buy financial assets, particularly corporate bonds. And what that means is it's buying debt from publicly listed companies. It's buying it from the government, you know, a big buyer of government debt, but it's also buying it from publicly listed companies. And in the GFC, that was restricted to your top rated companies, like your blue chip stocks, you know, because it wanted quality debt, buying quality debt. But this time around, the Fed just really seems to be buying anything. And for a while there, you know, it changes sort of moment to moment, but it was is buying junk bond. I've got some debt if they want it. <laughs> Package it up in a residential mortgage-backed security, see if they'll buy it. <laughs> So they're, so, they're buying, so they're buying debt off companies. But what that means is you, you can create the situation of what they call zombie companies. So a zombie company is a company that's you know, managing to pay its interest payments, but nothing else. So it's, it's barely surviving. But because it's able to issue as much debt as it wants to the Federal Reserve, it stays alive. And so you don't have this sort of creative destruction process going on in the economy. You have inefficient firms surviving simply because the Fed's there bailing them out. So are these central banks, the Fed and the Australian Reserve, are they buying shares directly in these companies? Are they like banking on the next iPhone? I'm going to get some Apple. <laughs> no, not exactly. So they're buying corporate bonds, which is so the, the companies, they issue debt and the Fed's buying these corporate bonds. But if you think about what a company does, there's two ways that it raises money to fund its operations. One is that they issue bonds, and that's a promise to pay back a certain amount of interest over a certain period of time. The other way that they raise money is they sell shares in the company. So they sell people a share of the future profit stream. So we'll give you a certain cut of all the profits we make in return for some 
money now that we'll use to fund stuff. And if all else fails, if buying bonds and selling shares in the company fails, they can always try releasing quality products and services <laughs> and turning a profit that way. Yeah, that's some vintage small batch economic <laughs> thinking there. Yeah, so so basically there's, there's two ways that, that, that uh, companies issue debt, that they raise money. One is corporate bonds and one is shares. And they're kind of more or less substitutable. They're, they're sort of different versions of the same thing. Mm. And so what they can do, and since, since they're kind of substitutable, substitutable, a company that needs the money can issue bonds, sell them to the Fed, and then with that money, buy back their shares. So what? effectively... Yeah, effectively turn their shares into, into, into bond debt. And this is what we saw following the GFC. We saw massive share buybacks. It's called a share buyback. So you, get, you have a bunch of cash and you buy back shares. I feel like this is why, this is why we'd need to do this podcast because I don't think people realize this goes on. Like this hmm. sounds like, this sounds crooked <laughs> <laughs> to borrow a vintage small batch term. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely problems with the way... <laughs> You know, global finance <laughs> operates in the modern era. And this is one of them. And it's share, share buybacks. It's money going around in a little triangle, isn't it? Yeah. Or am I missing something? No, no, that's more or less what's going on. If I borrow money from you to pay Bob mm. and Bob borrows money from me yeah. to pay, yeah. like it just goes around and around. It's like a big Ponzi yeah. scheme or something. Yeah. you got a thing you got to add to that is that mm. someone just made the money up. <laughs> That's what that's what makes it real. That's what makes it real is the mm. the fake money that they're creating is what gives this thing its strength. Powering this mm. whole cyclical money sharing is that someone somewhere is like adding zeros to a computer. Yeah. And it's all above board. There's a lot of hackers that have gone to jail for a long time for adding zeros <laughs> to a computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is why the household budget analogy just doesn't work because you can't get away with this but so yeah so you get these share buybacks right now what happens if you buy back shares is that there are now fewer shares in the company so there's fewer people entitled to a share of the company's profits yep what that means is that each share is then worth more right because the your each share is now getting a bigger slice of the profits because there's fewer shares so each share is getting a bigger slice of the profits hang on why is there fewer shares? Because the companies bought them back and extinguished them. Oh, they, so they extinguished them too. That's something yeah. they can do. They can just put them well, out. Yeah. <laughs> That's where the term fire sale comes from. Yeah. <laughs> so they buy back the shares that did exist mm. and they, they get rid of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so the companies buy back the shares. They then get rid of the shares. Now there's less shares. So if you if you had sh- if you if I held shares in that company, it's worth more because the, the valuation of the company is still the same. But now there's mm. less shares to divide that value around. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So the question is interesting question is who owns a lot of the shares in the company? The answer to that is the people running the company. The company, yeah. Well, oh, no, sorry, the not company the company. Does, the, the, the people yeah. running it. So the executive team, a lot, often their re, their remuneration package involves shares in the company itself. Yeah. Yep. So and th- and who's who's making the decision about whether to buy back shares? Mm. The, the, these the execs. these these yeah. execs. So oh, I see where this is going. Do you see, see where I'm going here? <laughs> see where I'm going? Yes, I don't like this one bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So so this is really this is what happened. So. 
the US, so the, the government prints money. They pump that into the financial system by buying corporate bonds. The companies issuing those corporate bonds take that money, buy back their shares, increase their share price, yep. and the CEOs pocket the money. Yep, brilliant. Amazing. That's clever. I'll give them that. You got yeah. You got to. I would do it if, that. if I could. <laughs> yeah. If you owned a central bank. <laughs> if I owned a central bank, and I hope to one day. I, you know, aspirational. Aspirational. <laughs> it's on your vision board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so this is this is what happened more or less, and it's why we saw after the quantitative easing that followed the GFC, mm. a huge boom in share prices. Right. And it's why that people now are looking at the amount of money getting pumped into the economy and are expecting a massive boom in share prices and forward-looking mm. are looking through the worst economic data in human history to endless money and endless boom in share prices. Well, you can ignore it. You can just ignore the, the worst economic data in human history because it doesn't matter. Yeah. Presumably that's normally in, in what I like to call old school money theory is that's where the money came from. It came from your economy. It came from the mm. people working and companies doing things and then paying the government, you know, those things called taxes. Mm. Um, and that's where the government got its money. And now the government's gone, you know what? We don't need industry. We don't need the economy. We've worked out we can just print money. So the share mm. market's gone well, wicked. So we'll get all that money. Um, so we can pretty much just put all that, all that doom and gloom of the economy to the side. Yeah, that's pretty much what's happened. I mean, one guy, one analyst that I follow says that the central banks have effectively turned their share markets into Soviet sausage factories. So, so there's, it's, it's like, like a centrally planned economy. The government decides the prices, the government decides output, the government decides everything. It, effectively, the whole share market, which is, you know... How do Soviet sausage factories differ from other sausage factories? Well, that the government is controlling it. Ah, oh, got it. So, uh, yeah, in, in, a, in a free market sausage factory... <laughs> The sausage makers respond to market signals about whether to increase or decrease production, what price to set, etc. In a Soviet sausage factory, mm. the government tells them what price and how much to produce. I see. Now, in a free market share market, yeah, the go the companies respond to market conditions. Share market share prices reflect market conditions. Mm. In a Soviet sausage factory share market. It's all, it's all about the government. It's all about what the Fed's doing. And that's why a lot of analysts are saying, like, man, just buy whatever the Fed's buying. Buy whatever, you know, the central banks are buying. That's, you know, nothing makes sense anymore. Can you buy corporate bonds? Like, does that make sense to buy those as an investor? No, because the, the, the Fed's commitment is to keep borrowing costs low. And so it does that by just buying as much as it takes to keep borrowing costs low, which is the return that investors get from buying the bonds right so the at the same time as the you know companies issuing these bonds the, the fed's saying we're going to guarantee that the returns on these bonds the yields of these bonds are going to be fuck all right that's their agenda yeah so yeah no it's not that's not a good play i don't think so how do, how do i play it well i think you buy whatever the the fed's buying what are they buying? and and, the, and hmm? what are they buying mm, everything right <laughs> good <laughs> We we sometimes we have a disclaimer. If you haven't if you haven't stayed to the end of our podcast to hear to hear the the, the weird Scottish guy do our poorly written disclaimer, um, we, there is a disclaimer that says we don't offer financial advice and you should seek your own you should seek your own opinion. 
Um, the minimum but- ship's guys told me to buy everything. <laughs> I don't think we need to give that a disclaimer. <laughs> what do I buy? Buy everything. That's what they'll be buying. Right, well, buy everything. What do you mean? But, but buy whatever the Fed's buying because because nothing matters anymore in this world. Like, it's all kind of set just by... Easy. Well, yeah, so I mean... It's a bit doom and gloom, isn't it? A little bit. It's, it's, it's hard to be, you know, optimistic about Soviet sausage factory share markets. But, hmm. yeah, the, the idea... If you look at what, what the share market is doing, they're buying the market, but they're, they're buying... They're buying the stable company. So you re- the risk is you buy a company, you buy company shares, and somehow, wildly, the worst economic data in history, the total collapse in consumer demand, the um, gutting of the economy, somehow destroys the company and the company goes bust. And your shares in the company become worthless. Mm. And that's effectively the only risk inve- investors have left in this new world. <laughs> the, only risk, the only risk is the economy collapsing. Yeah, which well, the, the the share prices go go. If if the Fed is is guaranteeing share prices, which is effectively what's happening, yeah, then the only risk is that your share price evaporates when your company goes bust, and that could happen. You know, like an airline could could collapse and could go bust. So, but then it seems unlikely if the government doesn't want that to happen because they can print money and just in, inject money into the company, can't they? They can, but they don't seem to be picking winners or they don't seem to be want to be picking winners. So there's a bit of confusion about how this is, you know, as I was saying, like it's a massive experiment. We've never done this before. Yeah. There's two arms of government at work here. There's the central banks doing their thing, just pumping money into the economy. There's the governments doing their thing and they're controlling stimulus spending you know, they they didn't bail out Virgin, for example, so they don't seem to be having a bottomless pit of money to bail out companies or fund childcare or things. Childcare, you yeah, do. <laughs> yeah. Don't invest in childcare. That's the weird thing, though, is that there's this bottomless pit of money, yet it doesn't seem to be bottomless when it comes to funding things. But I mean, it's 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 a, it's a great. You know, like I, I'm personally surprised that people aren't angrier about this generally. You know, that the government's crisis response is effectively to underwrite the share market mm. and protect, you know, share shareholders and inflate asset values to save the economy by inflating asset values. Now, if you own assets, that's awesome. But if you don't own assets, mm. and the people who are, mo- are hardest hit by COVID by any economic crisis, typically are asset poor they're not people who own a lot of assets mm. so they don't benefit from this massive money printing that we're seeing and the, the bank of england had a study it was kind of funny they came out and said yeah the money printing that generally flowed to the wealthiest 10 percent of the population mm. it was pretty unequal and everyone went like fucking what <laughs> what are you doing it for and then they went, oh, actually, if you account for the fact that people would have lost jobs, but they didn't, then it's not so unequal. I thought you were going to say it flowed to the 10% and everyone got angry. The 1% got angry that, <laughs> that there was another 9% <laughs> <laughs> eating Cut, slice of their grass. pie. Yeah. <laughs> what? You mean, million, you mean millionaires got some? <laughs> That was for billionaires, damn it! <laughs> I can see why you think people should be angry about it. I'm, I'm, I don't get angry generally about these, well, much at all, but about these things. But, but I haven't suffered. Yeah. I guess I'm lucky. I'm really fortunate that I haven't suffered as much as I'm sure a lot of people have during these times. So, mm. to see the government 
seemingly with a bottomless pit of money and then picking and choosing what to spend it on and above all, essentially making sure that the share market doesn't collapse. Uh, I can understand why people would be pretty angry about that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I expect it's going to shift the political narrative that we now have all this money that demonstrated a willingness to support the share market with an unlimited ammo of money. I think pe- people are going to say, well, why, you know, what's to stop nurses getting some of that money? What's to stop mm. teachers getting some of that money? And, and that's legitimate questions. And, uh, you know, yeah, it, it starts to look kind of tenuous. But... <laughs> We don't have another crisis response now. You know, typically we we cut interest rates when crises hit, but we've cut interest rates as low as they go. We don't. That's not an option anymore. And so, but we don't now, need any more options. This is it. We've found the good one. We've got endless money. Pro- problem solved. Good night. Problem solved. Yeah, but it but it does create asset price inflation. And you look at you know you look at what's happened to Australian house prices. You know they're getting you know massively expensive, out of the reach of a younger generation of Australians. That's only going to get worse. But house prices are tipped to drop by as much. We talked about this in mm. episode three, I think. House prices are tipped to drop by as much as thirty percent. Some people say fifty percent. Very few people say fifty percent. Sure. 30% was the worst case scenario that CBA put out. And now most analysts are backpedaling on that. They're right. kind of saying it's probably not going to be that bad. We're probably looking at 5 to 10% now. That The consensus seems to be shifting to like pretty minimal impact on the property market. Is that because of the money printing again? I think in markets now, they're looking at a new reality and, and getting their heads around a new reality. Mm. And in that new reality, the government has unlimited money and unlimited money to support its pet projects and that typically flows where the the dominant political interests are and that's around property it's around asset prices so where does it all end who knows adam who knows <laughs> well um as our chief thanks econo- for listening as our, <laughs> as our chief economic <laughs> consultant here at minimum chips uh for integrity economics I was hoping you'd know, Thomas. It's hard to know. The, the question, the question, the big unknown is how, do, how does the government unwind out of this sort of money printing era? Mm. Like, does it then start, you know... Why do they need to? If the idea is that it's stimulatory to print money mm. and then the economy starts running a bit hot, then they might, might start winding it back. It's also, I mean, we're also talking about socialism by stealth in a way, this weird hybrid of um, capitalism and socialism where... The government doesn't support nothing but the sh- but the share market. It's it's a weird new hybrid that history has never seen before. Now that might get politically distasteful. People might go like, "Oh, we don't really want to run the nation like that." Mm. And so, you, yeah, you would expect that they start wa- walking that back. And they tried to walk back the money printing that followed the GFC, and it was a difficult process. The share market. They called it the taper tantrum, that every time that the Fed's printed less money, wound back its money printing, share prices kind of wobbled right? because that was the only thing supporting share prices. So, yeah, it really depends on where the government goes from here, where central banks go from here. But it's also largely a confidence game because it's, it's forward-looking. So there's this expectation that all this money printing is going to create a boom in, boom in prices. It's very possible that the economy gets away from policymakers that you start having more and more high-profile collapses. Sectors, you know, you'd imagine, say, you have a large company in the retail sector collapse. Suddenly everyone goes like, oh, 
I'm a fan of the share market overall, but oh geez, I'm off the I'm off the retail sector because we just had this massive collapse. And so you could look at a sort of like a the share market bleeding lower sector by sector. So not overall, but like certain sectors falling out of favor as bad economic data translates into corporate collapses. Something like that, that's possible. And you and you look at you look at where where what's really driving the share market, it's really the, the big winners have been your fangs, like your big companies, your Facebooks, Amazon, Who? Netflix, fangs. Who's fang? Oh, right. That's an acronym. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Microsoft's in there too. I haven't heard that before. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I only work in technology. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> They're called tech stocks. Those companies in the US now account for 25% of the market. Yeah, wow. And, so, and, and, they're, and they're kind of seen as a safe bet. You know, the, the tech sector has been insulated from the worst effects of COVID. A lot of tech companies have benefited. benefited. So people are like, you know, a lot of analysts are saying like, you, you're generally bullish about the share market in general, mm. but then bearish about specific companies. So it's this weird thing where you're like, you're not backing any one company necessarily, but you're bearish, you're, you're bullish about the market overall because of all the money printing, which is, yeah, it's, it's a very weird reality. Sure is. I don't know that I'm going to go and buy anything with any confidence, but maybe, like maybe some sort of, what are those indexes? Everything, Adam, just everything. buy everything. <laughs> right, yeah, buy everything. There you, there you go, you heard it here first on our Minimum Ships podcast. Buy everything and the government should bail you out with its free money if, if things get away from us. Yeah. That's, that's, that's. That's the takeaway here. Uh, that wraps us up for another week of Minimum Chips. You can check us out on Facebook. Uh, go and like the page, please. Share it with your friends. Tell everyone you know about how they should be angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why yeah, not? Raise a militia. Ra- raise a militia, <laughs> buy everything. Thumbs it down. Yeah, raise a militia, buy everything. That's our advice. All right, thank you, Thomas, for your input as always. Uh, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you all again next week. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You should always consult with licensed professionals before making any financial or investment decisions and do your own research.